Hello, and welcome to the Bubbly and Baseball podcast, hosted, as always, by Ed Hand and Bailey Von Schneider. If you love drinking sparkling adult beverages, and you also happen to love baseball, then we would love for you to join us. So, without further ado, here are Bailey and Ed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of Bubbly and Baseball. We are so honored because Ed and I have our very first guest, and it's writer Crystal O'Keefe. So, if Crystal, you want to just say hey to the three listeners we have. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Uh, I, as Bailey said, I do write. I write for probably way too many publications at this point, but that's okay. Um, I mostly cover the White Sox. But right now, you know, there's really nothing to talk about in White Sox world. But oh. thankfully, baseball has been a hot mess lately. So yeah. like we've got a lot to cover today. Yeah, We actually can ask you a White Sox question because something did happen involving the White Sox, sort of, in that the Red Sox signed uh, 2019 Gold Glove winner uh, Yomar Sanchez to a minor league deal. Can you give us the uh, what you know about Yomar? Uh, okay. Yomar is actually probably one of my favorite White Sox Aww. ever. Like, I adore him so much. He's just – he's this – really fun, charismatic, just kind of goofy player, and he can be whatever you need him to be. Um, but he is mostly known for dumping Gatorade on himself <laughs> at home plate, and it was precious. But no, he's just he's really, really fun, and he might not always be what you need, but you'll have fun watching him, at least. And like I said, he's really good at just kind of being that utility guy. So I did shed a little tear when I saw that he was going to be somewhere else. But I just hope uh, they take care of him because I we'll love do him. our best. We yeah. we will. We like – I feel like in Boston we like the utility guys that just grind it out. Like Brock Holt is like a legend in Red Sox Nation, so. Everyone was uh, was screaming for uh, Jairo Munoz to come up next uh, last year when he was in the middle of, like, a 34-game hit streak at AAA. I, so I, I cover the uh, the Woo Sox for a few things, so I'll be seeing. If he's if he makes a team, I'm not going to be seeing him as much, but if he's in AAA, I'll be seeing him a lot. And I just, uh, I like good players there. I like guys that are good defensively there, and it seems like he can uh, do a lot of, lot of things except for hit for power. Yeah, and that's okay. I still I still loved him so much. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the that's the hitting for power is just like everybody's like that's the one thing that everybody values now. And I'm like, but what if you just need somebody solid defensively? And the Red Sox defense was so bad in 2021. <laughs> so we need anything. And people are like, oh, look at how I'm going after this glove first guy. I was like, we had zero glove last year. Go after all the glove first guys. Yeah. Like you know. <laughs> And it's a good depth move. It's a legitimately yeah. good depth move. They need a utility. If they don't bring back Jose Iglesias, they actually could use a utility guy. I think that there is a legitimate chance that he makes the team out of spring training just because of what he does that nobody else on the team does. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so jumping into just a little bit of what we had. So um, Rod Manfred came out and had his his little press conference, and a lot of it, like, a lot of things came out of it, and I think the biggest thing we could probably all agree on is the universal DH. 
So, Crystal, how do you feel? I mean, you're an AL girl, like yeah. we're AL girl and guy over here. So, like, we're we're used to having a DH, but, like, how do you feel about the universal DH? I, I am so excited because I there's nothing more I just hate than just pitchers going out there and hitting. And it's aside from Trevor, Trevor Williams, um, I don't know if you saw his tweet yesterday, and it was just kind of like RIP to pitchers hitting, and it was just kind of like bunting or immediately getting out, and it was yeah. hysterical. But not everyone can be Otani. Yeah. So I don't really want to watch, um, you know, Lucas Giolito in an NL ballpark being so, like, tall and lanky and not knowing what to do. Like, yeah. I'm so thrilled that I do not have to watch all of these pitchers try to hit the ball again. I love the idea of the Angels, because they already have Otani, and then they signed Michael Lorenzen, who has played outfield and is known as being a decent hitter. I love the idea of them just doing the all-offensive pitching rotation. Right. Because they just, for some reason, they're like, we don't want a DH. We don't, we, we don't need one of those. We'll just use our pitchers there. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll lose the DH just so Otani and Lorenzen. Just make sure they're they're going back-to-back, because otherwise right. they're screwed. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm so excited about it. Just for injury's sake, too, especially when you have so much invested in these pitchers now. Like Max Scherzer, who took a you know a, a ball off the eye while like taking like batting practice. Like he's a forty five million dollar a year person you're investing in. And granted, like he's a different beast. He like breaks his eye. He's got like a black, a blue, and a brown eye now, and he goes out there and he still pitches. But like not everybody's like that, and it's like you could do so much more damage or what if they pull something because like you know they're trying to like leg out a double or they think they're cool and they're going to get a triple so there's just so much money invested that like their main job is to pitch so please and thank you to having that be their job yes (sighs) i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with you too a little bit but Uh. i'm not i'm not so here's the thing. Do I like bat watching pitchers that don't give a shit about batting bat? No, I, I don't. But I do like there being a difference between the AL and the NL. Yeah. Because yeah. if there isn't, what's the point of interleague play? What's mm. the point of having seven? You know, you know, like I see that in football with like the um, the AFC and the NFC, and it's like, well, you know, it's like okay, so you play different teams, but there isn't much of a difference. So no. you know, I. I would like to see something that differentiates the two leagues just to make that interesting. It was always, you know, kind of fun seeing, like, Chris Sale have to bat. And, yes, of course, there's that fear of uh, having a career-ending injury because they don't know how to slide. Yeah. But it does. I do think it adds something that's taken away from it. And I would just like to see – I listen, I don't know what that difference would be, but I would like them to make something to differentiate the two leagues. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. I understand. And there is always that fun nature too, where you're like, oh, I'm seeing like a, a Chris Sale hit, and like he's he's gotten some knocks. And then you have people that are just so bad at it. Like John Lester was the worst at hitting. <laughs> yes. He hit a home run for the Cubs, though. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he got his first major league hit until he was a Cub, because obviously way more opportunity than he ever had when a Red Sox. <laughs> Still. I'm just thinking about John Lester's inexplicable ability, like, not to be able to do certain things, like make pickoff throws. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had the weird pickoff throw yips. 
it made no sense. It was like, oh, yeah, I can, like, throw really well from, like, the mound to home plate. But, God, I can't figure out how to throw to first. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we got the universal DH. So, I mean, I think we all knew that that was going to get agreed upon. And I think players as a whole are excited about it, which is good. Um, some other things was, uh, you know, Manfred came on and said, as of now, no change to spring training. But, like, what is he going to say, really? Like, like we're days away. Like the four, like literally, what three days away from when some pitchers and catchers are supposed to report? So, okay, talk about last minute. Watch them figure it out tomorrow, and then like (laughs) it's like okay. By the way, you have like two days to get down to Florida or over to Arizona. I'm I'm so um, just non trusting of the executive portion of MLB. Now, that it wouldn't surprise me, because he was like, we have a good offer that's fair and in good faith, and I love kind of like, wait, so all of your other offers weren't in good faith and weren't good <laughs> offers? Like, are you admitting that? And what, you know, so until, until I actually see the offer and hear players reacting to it, it's like, oh, you're just going to try to make them look bad. You're going to get all of our hopes up again that we're going to start on time and we're going to have a real season and then be like, look, look, it's the players. They don't like this. This, is, this isn't this is on us. We're trying to to get this moving. So until – it's also something a little weird. Okay, so you they have their offer. Why are you waiting until Saturday? Is this just so that you can one-up, like, the Super Bowl, or are you just trying to be dramatic and hoping that if it doesn't work out, the Super Bowl will overshadow some of the fallout? Yeah, I don't – I don't trust – I don't trust any of it. I don't trust that spring training is starting on time. I think they're just, I'll be happy if we have baseball by like May at this point. Yeah, it's just, I'm hoping, like, it seems as if there may be, but then again, everything's behind closed doors, so we don't really know, but it almost seems like it could be trending in a positive direction with all of this. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it is, but like you said, yeah, first spring training game is supposed to start February 26th. Opening day is supposed to be March 31st. Like these things are just fast approaching us and it's like, okay. And then, you know, we had a delay of spring training, obviously like 2020 is just like out of everybody's hands. It's out of major league baseball's hands, but like there was that like delay and the stop and start of spring training. And then some guys just had really bad goes of it because of like the scheduling. So it's like, who knows if like less of a spring training to try to start on time is going to be detrimental to some of these players too. And it was in 2020. It seemed like, you know, everybody, if they weren't getting COVID, they were getting injured. They were constantly tearing hamstrings just trying to get to first base and I really I really think that's because it was just so truncated that their bodies couldn't physically handle that I mean it is it has to be really bad on these players that are so used to this very set schedule and the proper amount of time to kind of warm their bodies up to it and be able to play again and I mean they can't really do anything right now they can't they can't go and work with their coaches or anything so what are they supposed to do? They're just probably sitting around eating pizza. <laughs> and now we're going to get to this, like, shortened spring training or shortened season. and just I feel like it's going to be 2020 all over again when everyone's getting injured. Oh, God. Yeah, that would be awful. But, yeah, it's it, it could very well be 
just that, which is crazy. So I think we're all probably in an agreement that, yeah, spring training is probably not starting on time. The season's probably not starting on time as much as I hate it. Like, um, I, I, I would love to. Um, there were some other things that, like, uh, came out of this, like, talk. And there's one weird thing that, like, uh, came out of it is that, like, MLB is gonna, like, implement a draft lottery now, which I, I, man, I don't know how I feel about it. How do you guys sort of feel about it? Uh, Crystal, you can go first on this. I have really mixed feelings. When I hear draft lottery, I just think of the NBA. Right? So, that whole idea, it just doesn't, it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't, I don't know how they're gonna do this. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel right for me. I mean, I'm fine with it personally. Um, you know, like, so I remember, uh, when he first took over, uh, Cohen, Steve Cohen with the Mets had this idea for Bobby Bonilla Day where they'd like parade him out on the field and like a card, give him like a comically <laughs> large check. And I like that idea. I kind of like the idea of them just adding all of this really unnecessary pump and circumstance, put a special on the MLB network for like, mm-hmm. you know, if it's like three or five teams or whatever that are in the lottery, like fine, that maybe that'll help with some of the tanking stuff because, you know, at least the teams won't be so kind catastrophically bad that there's like, you know, like, because honestly, as much as I like seeing the Red Sox beat the ever-loving crap out of the Orioles, it's kind of suck being an Orioles fan right now, and they do have them. Yeah. Ew, I have a friend that's an Orioles fan. Poor, poor person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, yeah, we talked about the Orioles in our last podcast here. I feel like it's coming back to, like, we just feel bad for all the Orioles. They have a beautiful ballpark. Like, it's just, And they have likable players. They really do. It's just, I don't know why you don't, like, when their entire payroll, them and, like, Cleveland's payroll is, like, less than what, you know, Max Scherzer's making per season is just, I mean, these are the problems, and I don't necessarily know if the lottery is going to sort of fix that. Um, because it's like there's we'll have to they'll obviously tell us more about it. We'll learn more about like what the you know the structure for the lottery would be. Um, but yeah, it would just be strange for like the first time forever. Like the worst team doesn't necessarily get the first pick, but because sometimes teams can take that and turn that into a good thing. Like we can you can hate on the Astros as much as you want. Like they took like a Carlos Correa from like a first pick, and like they were able to just build that to uh, a great team. Same with, like, the Nationals. They had, like, first picks, and they ended up winning the, you know, the World Series. The uh, I think the Rays always did a really good job with that, but they're also really good at drafting and developing anyways. But, so who who knows? But there are definitely teams that are just losing for losing's sake. I just want to make a counterpoint. Just, it's just the Bryce Harper hater in me wants to point out that he was not on that team that won the World Series. He was not. He was not. <laughs> It is true. He's good though. Like people can hate him. He's two MVPs at this point, and so oh, he's good. But he still has. He's not. He's, the Phillies had done shit oh. with him. So. Oh no, he's not Mike Trout. That's the problem. Is that like he was supposed to be Mike Trout, but at the same time, like he has two NL MVPs. So it's it's tough to say he's he's overrated for what he was supposed to be. But it's also tough to say he's over like overrated because oh, yeah. the Phillies just can't manage their players at all. I mean, we all expected Bryce, and he was there for, what, 13 years? That was his contract? Crazy. No opt-outs either. Greatness from him, but they don't, they don't build a team around him, and I'm a little sour because, you know, 
Andrew McCutcheon and just went into free agency. But still, like, they just don't know what they're doing. I, they, they can't because he is. He's amazing. But when you give him absolutely no backup, what did you really expect? Yeah. It's like you think about, too, with Dave Dombrowski there now. Like, isn't that what he's supposed to do? It makes no sense when they have no farm system for Deal and Dave to deal. Like, what is he going to deal? Like, he's like, I got all these pennies, and I want to get, like, these shiny nickels. Like, you're not going to do those certain things. So them hiring him made no sense. They needed to, like, poach somebody from, like, Tampa Bay, like how Boston did. Like, you need somebody who's going to build your organization back up. And then hopefully that helps you win. But, oh, yeah, Philadelphia just does not know what they're doing. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, But also good news, too, is they agreed to – we don't have a figure yet, but they agreed to raise the entry salaries for these guys, which is really great. You know, it's more money than we can dream about. But still, when you're coming from when the, outside of being like a really high draft pick, you, they're not making money and they don't have much money. So to come in and just get that big of a boost, sort of like congratulations, you you made it to the majors. Here's your raise. I think that's great. Here's a question for you guys. With that, um, would you prefer to see a raise to the majors or a raise to the minor league payment? For the players. Minor leagues, hand mm-hmm. down. I mean, yeah. it always reminds me of this story I read about how some of these minor league guys are, you know, five guys per house because they can't afford their living situation and they're like Ubering on the side. And I'm like, you are playing baseball. You're, you're good enough to make it even into just that minors round. You should not be Ubering on the side to afford an apartment with five other guys. So, it's just so disgusting how they're treated and how, yeah. you yeah. know, they're expected to be these superstars of tomorrow or get the call up and just, you know, move to a whole different state. And you're I'm making more than you as like an event planner. I just I thought that was always just disgusting. So there's a I, how long how long have you been a White Sox fan for? Because this is this is relevant. Um, Actually, I hopped the bandwagon. And uh, that was 2018, so before they really started to get good. I grew up only really knowing the Cubs and the Reds and then eventually okay. jumped bandwagon. So there was a pitcher that I interviewed in 2013 who came up. He pitched very briefly for the White Sox, I think, in 2005 or 2006. His name was uh, Jeff Bahamaru. Um I think he's like a coach for the Diamondbacks now. Um oh. But he was drafted by the White Sox, and I remember him telling me this story about how um, he got sent to Tucson to play there, and um, he had to, like, find a place to live, and he couldn't find anywhere, and he ended up, like, kind of on, like, in just, like, a really bad neighborhood, um, and he's moving in, and basically, the long story short of this is that somebody got shot in the building that he was moving into, and he was, like, this was, like, his first day there, and he had to be, like, a witness in the trial and everything. <laughs> So, you know, like, they're putting, like, that's the living situation for mm-hmm. these guys. Yeah, it's gross that that's how they treat their young talent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wish that there were just better, better sal- living living wages for these these men. It's, it's crazy. And going off what Crystal was saying with uh, Uber, Josh Ockamy, who's been in the Red Sox system for years at this point. Can't really get, you know, he's a quadruple A player at this point. Can't get a, I, 
I would love for him to get traded just so if there would be some chance for some other team for him to make it to the majors. But yeah, there's a, there's a whole article written by, I forget exactly which writer had written it, but went to get in an Uber to like go down to like spring training and Josh Ockamy was his like Uber driver. And he's like, why do you look so familiar? And he's like, oh yeah, I, I like, like I play in the Red Sox organization and it's like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, you're doing, and he works construction with his like father in the off season. Like it, it's just crazy to me that like, granted, years and years ago when they weren't getting paid millions, they they did have second jobs, but that was just a different landscape of baseball then, you know, versus baseball today, you know. Uh, so it's it's just wild how poorly they're treated, and the food conditions are supposedly awful as well. It's just like, what are they doing? I don't know. It's just crazy. So at least, at least, you, if you make it to the majors, you're going to be making a little bit more money. So I guess there's some sort of a little extra incentive for them. I mean, it's not like they all don't want to make it to the majors, anyways, for you know their dream and for financial stability too. But like that, that money can go a long way for somebody who wasn't making millions out of the draft, let's say. Yeah, so that's really good that that's going to happen. And there's also they're taking away draft pick compensation for free agencies. So you can just freely sign whomever you want and not have to worry, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. That was a good one. I was happy to see it. Bring back the super teams. I want every like just every big market team just sign everybody. Do it. And now you just don't have to worry about like losing anybody because it's interesting when you would look back to see like who, like, when the, um, so the Angels had traded to get Mark Teixeira, and then Teixeira became a free agent, and then the Angels' compensation pick was Mike Trout. <laughs> so, like, it, it's funny when you, you see these things and who, who, who went in the compensation, so that won't happen anymore, but it's funny. It's like, haha, if you didn't sign, you know, but Mike, Mike Trout going that late in the draft is still crazy. That's what happens when you play in New Jersey cold weather, you know, and they can't see you all the time. Um, so they're also said they're not going to reduce revenue sharing, which I think is good, too, because revenue sharing can be very good. I mean, like, that helps, I think. Um, what do you do? You not feel good um, about I just want the teams that I want them to actually spend the money they're getting and not just. I know. It. I know. It'd be nice if you could somehow be like, OK, if you're getting this money, you have to utilize it. Like, that would be that would be good. I agree. Yeah, and then another thing that they talked about was expanded playoffs. Now, how do you guys feel? I have a, I I I hate it, but I don't know how how, how you guys feel. I said I said in the notes, I was like, I want it back to just eight teams, man. Because to me, it's like you're letting if you're letting potentially fourteen in, like the owners want, you're just letting almost half. Half, you're saying half of this, like, there's no, I don't know, and it's going to allow in mediocrity at that point. People, like, <laughs> below sub-500 teams might be making it in, and I, I personally hate that. I don't know how you guys feel. Yeah, that, that drove me crazy. Oh, there, oh. There's been no reason some of those teams had made it in, but I, I liked your note about going back to eight. I would prefer that, too, or max ten. It just, it becomes too chaotic at that point, and when you're supposed to be covering baseball as a whole you're like how am I there's no time there's not enough time in the day for me to deal yeah. with this. 
So I'm uh, not quite as strong on this as you guys. You should hang out with my dad. He's like, bring it back to four playoff teams. I don't like any of this. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, like, just bring it back to to that or just the World Series. Like, he'd be he'd be very That's happy how it used to see to that be. happen. <laughs> uh, for me, I kind of – I look at it a couple of ways. I mean, yes, I think that it's not good that mediocrity gets in. I don't think you should be able to be, like, a 500 team and get in. I also, though, can understand if you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a while and you have a team that wins, like, 90 games and they don't get into the playoffs, that kind of sucks. And, you know, there can be some really exciting – like, I think the best case is a game that would have happened regardless last year with the Yankees and Red Sox tying on the last day, Mm -hmm. getting that wild card game that would have happened because they have the same record. That stuff can be really fun. Um (laughs) And I can also understand, again, if you're, I like games in September mattering, and I like having more than one team to follow there, just where it's like, wow, this team's been bad for a while, and now they're in the playoffs. So that can be exciting, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, like, I don't want to see, like, uh, an 82 and 80 team sneaking in or something like that. Because then you get hot at the right time, and you can end up having, like, uh, you know, like, they end up winning the World Series, and it just kind of feels like bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a little – that's almost what it feels like what happened with Atlanta a bit. They got hot at the right time. Um, so, you know, and, like, Atlanta had a worse record than the Toronto Blue Jays. Yep. So, like, that that goes to Ed's point where, you know, like, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays all won 90-plus games, and one of those teams doesn't get to make it. But because of the way the structure and how terrible the NL East is <laughs> – Terrible. <laughs> to their credit with Atlanta, they lost their best player. And they, and still, they still won the division. Yeah. So I like th- that's what I mean though. It's kind of like and that's, Soroka it, too. Like they won the World Series without Acuna and Soroka, which yeah. is kind of wild to me. <laughs> like Maybe watch that's them, what oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say watch them not do anything next year when they're both back and healthy or something. I was gonna say, like, maybe that's why they seem to be okay with me with not bringing Freddie Freeman back, which seems totally batshit crazy to me, but they're like, well, we did it last year, let's just, I don't want to give him that much money. Uh, Atlanta, don't be stupid, please, because I'm afraid he's gonna end up in pinstripes, and I might have to jump off a bridge. (laughs) God save. Uh, I'd hate everything about that. God, because I love Charlie more than I love Freddie, and I love Freddie. I can't (laughs) see little, little cute Charlie in pinstripes, so we'll, like, It'll kill me to my core. Um, to Freddie's credit, he might break Barry Bob's record in New York with that short fence. Oh my god! Right? Imagine him with the short porch would be kind of incredible, but <laughs> I also just don't want it to happen. <laughs> he can go oh, anywhere yeah. else. He can go anywhere else. But I want him to stay in Atlanta. I mean, that's just me. All right. Um. So that was pretty much we covered most of what was going on with the the landscape of. Of, of MLB right now. Um, I just wanted to touch on quickly uh, unfortunate news. We learned that Jason, um, G- Jeremy Giambi, yeah, Jeremy, not Jason, Jesus, I wrote Jason down. Sorry, Jason, that Jeremy Giambi had passed away, and we did learn more that it was by suicide, which makes it even more tragic. And I'm, I'm wondering if years of steroid abuse sort of, feeds into this because you do learn that steroids can lead to depression and just he we know that he was just like his brother was a um abuser of steroids so it's just like it's sad that like a young like 47 years old and i don't know 
just terrible, you know. It's like a lot of people have been passing away in baseball lately, and then this one just being something that's so avoidable, you know. If you get the yeah. right help, if you don't abuse, like, literally performance-enhancing drugs. But, I mean, obviously that, it might not be it, but there's just so many fa- factors that can contribute to it, and that is one, you know. Yeah. Um, Julio Lugo earlier in the year, and then the day before Jeremy Giambi, uh, Gerald Williams passed away. Um, with Giambi, it's from everything that I know about him, um, there there were some demons there. Um, there were the PEDs, but there was also um, alcoholism and drug abuse and just, like, just stories about that. Uh, but, you know, it kind of goes back to mental health needing to be a focus. Um, yes, it, especially for men. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's – and especially also just, like, the type of person that's going to be a pro athlete. It's very uh, – that competitiveness and that idea of masculinity is uh, – you know, it's something that when you grow up with it, it's extremely difficult to shake. And you have some players that are able to do that. And, you know, it's certainly gotten better, but it's – you know, it's, that doesn't mean that everybody's affected by that when you look at, you know, how, what ends up happening, especially in a case like this. Yeah, mental health is just so stigmatized already. But when it comes to men and, you know, they're supposed to be the tough ones and they just deal with all the problems. But in reality, I mean, you have no idea what's, what is going on in anyone's head at any given moment. And it's it's things like this. When you see it, you're just like, I wish – this country would be better, you know, because yeah. we're not great here with mental health as is. But, you know, it's just, so right. It's, we, were, it's taboo. we were talking. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I was just going to say it's just such a taboo subject and we're not taking care of our own. Yeah. So of course, things like this are going to happen. Yeah, we were talking about Ken Griffey Jr. a little bit last week and how he um, revealed that he had um, a suicide attempt when he was 18 years old. And that's something that I don't think was really reported on much at the time. There's not that much detail that's known about it. But, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was, like, the absolute – there was – if you if, if you think about it, at least from, like, the perspective of a fan, he was, like, the perfect player. So, you know, if somebody like that could have issues that clearly needed some kind of attention, you know, like, it could happen to anybody – yeah, I think Major League Baseball needs to be better as a whole for mental health. Just especially, like, uh, most of this sport is mental, you know? Like, you have, they have the physical abilities, and what separates some from the others is a mental toughness. And some of these people need help with that, and I think it should be there, and, like, we shouldn't look bad. Like, you know, the idea of, like, oh, yeah, you know, you just, you're a man, you should be tough, like... No, like mental health is like everything else. You have a knee injury, you get help for it. You have some issues going on, like get the help for it. So it's like issues like this. What happens with Jeremy? It's like, oh, it's a wake up call. Like help these, help everybody, but help these men along, especially a grueling 162 schedule. I can only imagine what that does to your mental health. Yeah. And this is going to go into another topic that uh, we are going to be, uh, unfortunately going into later, but I think it helps with a lot of, I honestly think that if there's more help with mental health, it affects some of these domestic abuse cases that have come up because you are helping people, you know, deal with their anger, deal with their perceptions, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that. Um, so what we're going to talk about next is the we love having Crystal on anyways. But the big reason we wanted to have her on and talk is she wrote an incredible article for Pitcher List in January about Major League Baseball and its problem with domestic violence and assault. It is a huge issue. Um, she wrote this incredible article and then was getting some really good responses. But then, of course, had a really negative one. It was from uh, Preston Wilson, correct? Yeah. That was just great. so wild to me, the back and forth and him just not understanding what you were writing about. Yeah, that that was a very interesting span of like three days where I, it was just <laughs> continuing to say he was just quote. So I missed this. I missed this. What did he what happened? So it, that article, it, it definitely blew up. It, it yes. had a lot of engagement on Twitter to mm-hmm. the point where I was even like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> Like, I was going to turn off the replies because I was going into this expecting to just get all of the very angry white men jumping down my throat. And so, you know, um, Nick from Picture List and my managing editor there, they were both like, if you don't want to put your name, like your Twitter handle on this, that's cool. You know, if, if you want to turn off comments, that's cool. Like, we all kind of just expected a lot of hate from this and it ended up being so incredibly positive, but then Preston finds it. And I'm not even aware of this because I have a lot of personal settings on my Twitter. So like, if I'm not following you, I'm probably not going to see your response. And he quote tweets it and basically goes on about how I should cover domestic violence within like police departments because it's way worse in police departments. And I'm just like, well, I cover baseball. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't talk about the police. This is, this whole article is about how inconsistent the policy is and how, you know, people like, Trevor Bauer and Aroldis Chapman and all of these people are just kind of getting flaps on the wrist versus what should really be happening. But he was he's very aggravated that I wasn't comparing it to something that was worse to highlight all of the good baseball players instead. And I was like, well, this isn't about the good baseball players. We all know that there are great players that do great things, but at the end of the day, we need to have a more open dialogue about what some of these players are doing that is just not okay. You know, it's not okay to shoot a gun eight times in your garage. It is not okay to sexually assault and beat women up. Like these things are not okay. So I don't, I don't understand why you feel like I need to cover the police department and say, yeah, it's not great, but hey, look, it could be so much worse. So we're all good in baseball. So he he went on for like three days, and he would continue to like tag me in the responses, and he was quote tweeting everyone that came at him. And finally, I was like, I'm done. I've never had to block a baseball player before on Twitter, but here we are. I'm not going to continue. I do not owe you an argument for something that you – clearly are not understanding. So, but, I mean, otherwise, 
it was really well received. A lot of good mm-hmm. people, especially a lot of men, which, again, I was expecting to get a lot of hate. A lot of men were saying, like, hey, this is good. This is important. You should really look at this. Um, oh, and then someone said I had too high of a moral compass or something, and I was saying I was better than everyone else for not supporting these players. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so then, because <laughs> – if you support them, you suck. Is that what the bar is? Like, well, you kind of suck, so you can't hold other people to... It's like, yeah, like, I'm, I've done some very shitty things, but I've never fired a gun off in my garage 12 times or however much it was. I've never gotten caught on camera, like, choking out my girlfriend or... I mean, I haven't done that regardless, but... <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you know what drives me crazy? Because it is on camera and he got 20 games, and it's just like, he should probably be in jail for this. Yeah. Um... And like, what does it you, take at this point, you know? That's it, really what it comes down to. It's it's insane. It's really because, you know, it's like they're saying, like, yes, we have this tough policy, but the actions do not match it at all. And, you know, it's as anything that's happened with Rod Manfred, the actions never match the words. Mm-hmm. There has to actually yeah. there has to actually be some kind of punishment at some point that isn't just, well, you're a pitcher and you've got a, a, a 20-game suspension, so you're missing four starts. Like, that's, okay, fine. Yeah, especially with what just came out with Bauer and, you know, no criminal charges, <laughs> what I expected. So that goes to, we definitely have a domestic violence issue as a society, but the fact is that, you know, we're here talking about how it's terrible within in within Major League Baseball. Like we're seeing it. We're seeing time and time again, barely anything is happening to these these guys. Um, and, you know, and then the, the people that defend Bauer disgust me in just such a way because I feel like it's like they don't understand the the understanding the gravity of this or they bring in the idea of like oh well she like went over there and she was like it, like these text messages say she's into like rough sex sure cool if that's what you're into we don't kink shame here but the thing is there's a difference between saying yes i'm going into this consensually and having my skull fractured there's not a woman on earth that is saying please beat me to within an inch of my life, like, just while I'm unconscious, continue to do these things to me. Like, no, you can't consent when you are unconscious. So there's just so many issues that, like, with how disgusting it was and that people read this and people still say, yeah, love power. And those are the same people that have, like, girl dad in their bio. (laughs) (laughs) They really do. Oh, I feel bad for those little girls. Yeah, it's the whole thing, and it's disheartening on so many levels because, you know, when you aren't doing anything to punish these players or when you're just saying, oh, well, you're out for these 20 games even though we've got footage of you doing this or, you know, whatever, it's disheartening to, you know, women, and I'm not even, actually, I won't even just say women because men can be victims of yes. Domestic Mm -hmm. violence and sexual assault and, I mean, non-binary. Like, everyone can be a victim. Mm -hmm. But it is predominantly these women that are going through these different things. And I'm sorry, there are a lot of female baseball fans. I mean, obviously, two or three of us right now on this podcast are women who love 
baseball who know baseball. So it's disheartening where they're just saying, yeah, well, he's still really good, and he won Cy Young two years ago, so we still want him playing. We made a bobblehead for him, and you're like, well, what about us? Like me, I've been a victim of sexual assault, and I've been a victim of domestic violence. So what does that say to your fan base that have dealt with these issues personally or – you know, you could you could ask any woman you know, and they will likely tell you a story involving some kind of assault, some kind of domestic violence, gaslighting, like anything that falls into that category of abuse. You can ask almost any woman you know, and she will probably tell you at least one story about how these are happening. So it's disheartening for these female fans as they watch these abusers just continue to get away with this. And it's as a parent, I have a, a son that's 11 who loves baseball. I have a daughter who's nine, and she loves baseball. And these are the people that they're watching, and they're getting away with this stuff. And, you know, they're a bit more savvy. They they hear things. My son is constantly, like, checking sports updates. So he knew about Trevor Bauer ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And we had to have this conversation about, not in great deal, but, you know, what he did and why he's in trouble And he immediately came up to me when he found out, and he was like, I heard that he's not getting in any trouble, you know. And I'm thinking, like, you're you're watching these players. Thankfully, he doesn't look up to Trevor Bauer, but, you know, what if a player that he does look up to is accused of assault or accused of domestic violence? Like, what is that doing to the younger audience that's watching and seeing these players get away with this? And what is it doing to all of the – women or survivors or, you know, people that have lost loved ones to domestic violence. Like, what is that telling that group of people? It's just that you're only catering to professional athletes and men, and that's it. That's all you care about. You care about making money and protecting your players instead of the general population. Yeah, I – um it, it's hard for me to because I usually like to be like, okay, well, this is the other side's perspective with this, and it's very difficult to do that in a case where, again, it just it kind of because I get listen, injuries can happen during rough sex, that sort of thing. The thing to me is that there is evidence in the text messages that she was unconscious and he kept going. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how in any way, shape, or form that can be um, justified. And it's very disheartening when, you know, like, you're like, okay, he got off on this, but, like, he clearly mm-hmm. – and there's so – like you said, there are so many people that don't think he did anything wrong. And that yeah. and doing something, you know th- – I, I, I've had um, I had an experience um, when I was in my late twenties, um, in which um, I don't want to I don't particularly enjoy going into too much detail with it, but it was um, stuff that I wasn't particularly comfortable with. I didn't really voice it, um, and you know that's that's on me to an extent, but you know, there's also like body language and there's a social responsibility that I I think that people have. Is that something that legally is, you know, like, no, 
like unfortunately you can't you can't do that but there's still things that are like morally reprehensible there are things that really you should know the difference between right and wrong and I don't think that oh well I didn't notice is an excuse for just a complete and utter lack of empathy mm-hmm. um and that's the difference with MLB and the legal system is that well you can't suspend somebody you can't put him in jail maybe for this but there can be ramifications otherwise and it mm-hmm. would be nice with the evidence that they have to see you know like there be some kind of actual adequate punishment for this, be it, um, you know, a suspension, a banning, a fine. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. even though he didn't play at the end of last year, like, he was still getting paid. It was administrative leave. And, yeah, sure, the Dodgers had to trade for Max Scherzer. That's terrible. That sounds awful that you had to, you had to swap aces. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I know. There, yeah, the the punishment that the Dodgers got was they got a better pitcher. Uh, <laughs> really. Um. So I, in a way, I do feel bad for what, what the Dodgers are potentially going to have to do. Like, are they going to have to pitch him? Like, I I don't know if contractually if they're going to have to. And uh, I would love to see some suspension. I'm looking. Um. There, the longest suspension was a full season, and it was uh, uh Sam Dyson. Yeah. Um, which was, it was good because, oh my God, the, just reading, disgusting. Yeah, I had to cover that. Oh God. Like, I, that whole time I was just like sick to my stomach writing that. I was so relieved when it was finally done because yeah. reading all of those stories and all of those like victim statements, it, it's rough on anybody. Yeah, absolutely. You know what's, you know what's kind of fucked up though? That was progress. Because Dyson... Yeah. Yeah. White man. Mm-hmm. And not a total nobody in the league. He wasn't a bad pitcher or anything. Like, like reliever, sure, but, like, he wasn't a bad pitcher. And there was an actual punishment for that, even if it mm-hmm. wasn't legally. Um, yeah, because outside of that, Addison Russell with 80 games uh, had been, and thankfully for the most part, he seemingly will never play in Major League Baseball, which is great um but roberto osuna was immediately like suspended and then marcelo was... osuna i don't want no, to no, no, no. for somebody else no 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 i'm saying roberto osuna was the oh, one the pitcher? yeah oh the shit pitcher. that's right sorry i forgot i completely two no, osuna osuna and ozuna it's like oh, yeah too many. so Stop what happened it. with him was that he was he was great at his job he was a great closer and then you know Toronto didn't want to be associated with him and that was their right and then immediately you have uh you know the Astros pick him up and he's in the playoffs and Jackie Bradley Jr. who's probably one of the nicest men in baseball <laughs> smacks a grand slam out to help the Red Sox you know get to the World Series so like there are things like that where good guy defeats bad guy that you feel great about. <laughs> And then he did have 75 games, but so my question is, these these things are, uh, where will Trevor Bauer land in, let's say, the scale from the 80 games that Addison Russell got to the 162 that Dyson had, or will it be less with, like, you know, the 30 games that Chapman got, or the 20 games that uh, that Ozuna got, with, you know, b- there being actual evidence of him choking his wife, 
so, Oren, I think my favorite thing was people were, like, on Twitter being like, well, did you know that, like, Osuna's, like, wife was also hitting him? And I was like, oh, so then that's still fine for him to choke her out and he shouldn't because he was maybe getting, they were maybe both in a physical altercation that because of that he shouldn't be suspended? Like, how is that your argument? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go first because I don't want to have to upstage Crystal. Uh, I feel like your take is going to be a lot more informed than mine on this. But um, I think it's going to be closer to the 20 game. And I think the reason for it is that the league knows Bauer is enough of an asshole that he'll take anything to litigation. He'll take anything to appeal it. He'll say, oh, well, I didn't have to pitch last year and I didn't really do anything wrong. So... I think that Manfred is going to check it out as he often does. And maybe it's, even if it's, that's the thing, even if it's a 20 game suspension, he's going to appeal it. You know, like that asshole, like either doesn't think he's wrong or doesn't. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like he's doing the, he's basically like the Donald Trump equivalent of a baseball player (laughs) where he's just going to deny, 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 like go on the attack. It's everybody out to get him. Um, So that's, uh, that's, and you know, I don't actually feel bad for the Dodgers in this because they knew what they were getting when they signed him. He has shown time and time again that he has the impulse control of a four-year-old. You know, there was the issue with the drones. There was him throwing that ball when he was with Cleveland into center field. Yeah, oh my God. There's just his general online cyberbully personality. You know, like, there's really nothing that tells me that this is going to be the end of it for him. You know, like he's, I don't think that he can help it. I think that he's um, been enabled by a lot of people. He's never had to actually um, take responsibility for his uh, discrepancies. And, you know, that'll happen until he does something that's so bad and somebody gets really hurt from it. Um, mm. I mean, not that that woman didn't, but it, it'll be worse than that. And it, it's, you know, it's fucked up that that's probably what's going to end up happening. But yeah, that's that's that, that's. I think it's going to be like twenty games. Yeah, I agree that it will probably only be about twenty games, and that he will go out of his way to play this victim card. <laughs> um, but you know, and I agree, the Dodgers knew what they were getting into. But also, there was another case that happened while he was still in Cincinnati. Oh, there yeah, was a woman in Ohio that, you know, reported very similar things to this woman out in, you know, California. So they knew what they were getting into, and he's clearly never going to change because, again, he is a white professional athlete that is going to get away with whatever he can because he thinks he's got all this power, and he's just going to go on YouTube and, like, you know, talk shit about, MLB and everything else, but this pattern just continues with him, and he's going to continue to push more buttons and see where he's going to land. But again, it's only going to be 20, and I'm going to be really disappointed when that comes out, and, you know, I'm going to be pissed when they're celebrating a World Series, you know, next year. But I don't know. It's just it's so gross to me that he just continues to get away with this stuff and he continues to just be this child. And I don't, I don't think he should be playing here. I don't, I don't think he should have a career. I don't think he's entitled to this career. He was not even a great pitcher to begin with. 
That's a like, Mickey Mouse Cy Young Award. That was like, what, yeah. 11 yeah. starts? Yeah. yeah. So he's not this, like, talented, great pitcher that he seems to believe that he is in the first place. So he's just going to keep pushing buttons and pushing buttons. And like you said, someone else is going to get hurt. I mean, if you can have texts showing that you knocked this woman unconscious and she's fractured her skull mm-hmm. and you continue to anally penetrate her without her consent, then you're going to get away with anything. If they don't, yeah. if they don't, you know, have criminal charges against you for doing that, and this isn't even the first instance of this happening, then who cares? I mean, this is no longer about protecting women or doing anything. This is just about how you have confidence in this picture who's going to get your ratings up, whether they're negative feelings towards him, you're still going to watch him because you're going to want to know what's going to happen. And, you know, you want to see what this bad boy in baseball is doing. So they don't care. They're going to have him back as soon as they can because he brings in ratings. What do you say um, to the people that, um, and this includes Bauer's agent, Rachel Luba, um, Mm -hmm. who say that there are women who are trying to exploit the players' wealth, that they're just making things up, they know what they're getting into. What do you, what, what would you say? Because there are people that, that genuinely believe this. Yeah. How I do just, you, what do you say to that? I got into an argument with someone about that already because they were like, well, she's just looking for money and fame, her 15 minutes. And I was like, she's not suing for money and she wanted to remain anonymous. She's not mm-hmm. doing this because she wants to bring Trevor Bauer down. She's doing this because she was raped and unconscious. So I think that idea is so disgusting. This is just this is just slut shaming. This is just, you know, going back to cops saying, well, what were you wearing? <laughs> you know, what did you do to bring this on? It seems like you wanted it. You went there. You know, this is just this is just slut shaming in a whole new level of doing it. This woman did not want fame. This woman in Ohio didn't want fame. I don't really think Araldis Chapman's significant other wanted the fame in this, you know. And then it goes, the the whole Omar Vasquel thing. That, that boy didn't want the fame. No. You know, he wanted to remain anonymous. These people aren't trying to be, bring these players down. These people are trying to get justice and move on and heal from something awful that happened to them. And, you know, Rachel Luba will never see this. She's got me blocked on Twitter. But it's <laughs> just just the scum of it all to defend these people. I mean, she had Yaziel Puig for the longest time, yeah. too. Like, your two clients are known for being some of the worst people in baseball. And you're just defending them, and you're the ultimate pick-me-girl for doing this. Like, you're not getting anywhere with these guys. Your, your players can't even play right now. So I think her saying that is just disgusting, and it goes against every girl code, all the feminist, you know, just all the feminism. It just goes against all of that because she's just so vile. And to blame victims and to slut shame like she does, I don't know why that woman has a job either. Yeah, I mean, for me, I wanted to believe, like, 
when these things come out, you start to learn who he was. I just wanted to believe at one point that he was like the misunderstood like rebel that is like doing things that other people in baseball aren't doing yet. And those things turn out to be things that eventually people will adopt and that he's trying to truly grow the game, whether or not you liked the YouTube content or you didn't like that does help grow it. And, you know, I wanted to believe that he was that, type of a person and then when these come out and you learn about who he is as a person I hate the idea of the person that's like you know quote unquote grow the game is that person it's like why can't we have somebody else that wants to you know grow the game that we can get behind because this person is a a vile human being and I wanted to believe that you know the only man in baseball to have a female agent I was like that at that time you're like oh that's something that's like really interesting and maybe you're trying to help you know get your friend into this business only to find out that the two of them are like this I don't know this like bubble of like disgustingness like like and the people that they surround themselves with and and it's just like how you can support either of them still to this day and it's not even like the idea of like oh you're a woman and you're not supporting this like woman in baseball it's like no this woman in baseball isn't supporting these women that are coming forward with being harmed no she's just girl bossing her way through it yeah you know if you want to grow this game you highlight people like Shohei you Mm -hmm. highlight Tim Anderson you highlight you know these players that are making an impact on the field and they're doing good things outside of the organization you know I saw a story about on Thanksgiving, Tim Anderson was going and passing out like these huge turkeys and dinner and everything for people in his hometown. And it was like, these are the things that you should talk about. Absolutely. And these are the people that you should highlight when you're growing the game. You should highlight more people that are in the minority because your entire fan base is not just a bunch of white dudes. <laughs> you know, you should you should really highlight these people that are doing great things and are great players and are just great people overall. But instead we have to sit here and focus on Trevor Bauer. And that just pushes people away from the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's disgusting. And it's like if we, I think MLB just needs a marketing overhaul in general. Like they need new blood there. Like you say, these people that just spend a day with the Anderson family and see what they do and the the things that they do to help the community or like Shohei, the the re, the global reach that he has. Like the idea of like, you know, the first time an Asian person has been on the cover of MLB the show. Like that's that's huge. And just what he is and what he means for, you know, not just the Japanese community, but like everybody as a whole that appreciates what he's doing and saying we live in a time where we're, we're never going to see someone like this ever again, especially to his magnitude and like make that the face of baseball. Or even if you have the idea of like the best player in baseball being a white dude, I mean, it's a fact Uh, like, you know, Mike Trout is the best player, but even that person, Mike Trout can walk down the street of Los Angeles or Anaheim and nobody's going to know who the hell he is, but everybody knows who LeBron James is. Like the things is it's just major league baseball just has this like block when it comes to promotion of their own brand. Yeah. I think that some of that is on Mike Trout just for not being especially charismatic. Um, (laughs) But you got to, that's the thing, like, people that are saying, like, oh, well, we can't have Shohei do this because his English isn't good enough. Oh, like, my God, you... I hated that. Well, okay, so first of Steven. all, subtitles. If friggin' yeah, it's not that hot. Best picture, 
and yeah. you just have to read like a little bit below it. Like, come on. Also, have you seen Shohei? He literally looks like a cartoon character that escaped into our world. Like, <laughs> how could you not have this guy with like a Saturday morning cartoon? It shouldn't have been LeBron doing Space Jam. It should have been Shohei doing like Baseball Jam or something. <laughs> it could be an anime. It would be great. Um, but even even with that, you got to take the players that are charismatic and that want to be in the spotlight and that actually are in total pieces of shit. And I know it's hard to gauge who's going to be a piece of shit, except, you know, somebody like Trevor Bauer, if you were to show me a picture of him and say, is this guy a, a piece of shit, I'd probably say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you can just tell how somebody carries themselves. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there and, you know, there are I don't think Mike Trout is like a bad dude or anything, but there are white dudes that are have that charisma, too. You can just have a little bit of representation for everybody. And, you know, it, you don't need to have one person be the face of it. Yeah. If there is no shitty show, hey, I'm just going to die <laughs> on that hill. I will say one really great thing about the White Sox, they have this very strong Cuban pipeline. And it's been this way since, you know, Minnie came along back in the 50s, well, late 40s. And he kind of jump-started this whole Cuban pipeline with the White Sox. And now you have people like Jose Abreu, who, phenomenal player, clearly deserving of an MVP, better be the next statue at <laughs> Sox Park. Like, you have Luis Robert now, who is just this fun person to watch and really get behind and, you know, you have all of these, like, wonderful players from all over the world, really. And you're, again, like I said, you're just focusing on these boring old white guys or these assholes. When in reality, you know, there are just so many better players that we can focus on and we can make this face of baseball and represent the diversity. You know, be very inclusive of everyone, but instead it's just the same you know, five players, it's just, it's always the Yankees or the Dodgers, and every part of that just feels really white, like really straight white guy kind of thing. Like, those are the vibes I get from both of those teams when... Is he's an Aaron Judge. He is, but he still gets, no, he's he's African-American, but he still gives off white boy vibes. He does. Yeah. he's a Yankee, and that's why, and we don't really know who Aaron Judge is. I think that's the problem. Like, he grew a beard and looked... Really good. Not gonna, like, he grew this beard and, like, looked good in the offseason. It's like, imagine if you just, like, let bearded Aaron Judge play baseball. We'd maybe know who Aaron Judge is. I have no idea who he is, and I think it's because the Yankees are like that type of an organization. Yeah, they're cops. I hate that policy. Oh, that so Because, again, Andrew McCutcheon has mm-hmm. always, you know, he's been my favorite. Oh, I loved, loved his So, I know, I appreciate your pirate shirt. Mm-hmm. I've just I've loved him since his day in Indianapolis on their minor league team to the Pirates, you know, mm-hmm. and it crushed my spirit when he cut off his locks to oh go to the Yankees. It's like no, he's this beautiful man, and I loved his hair so he much. He looked good with the locks, very good. He's just this vibrant player, and then he's like suddenly in pinstripes, and I was like, this is not. This is not the Andrew McCutcheon that I know and love. This is like some weird, like Wario World Andrew McCutcheon, and I hate it. 
Yeah, and he came out and said how it it like sucked his soul out, you know, not only just taking cutting his locks, but like he couldn't have a, a beard and he had to present himself in a certain way, you know, like the quote unquote Yankee way. And it's like, why are we taking the individuality from these men by, you know, like I, I, get, I get the idea of like, I think there was a time where it was like, you know, Steinbrenner wanted to have this business look about, but you can clean up well and look great business while also having the hit. Yeah. Covered exactly. in tattoos. It doesn't mean I'm not professional. Exactly. You can present yourself professionally in a way you want while also having your individuality. So I do want to defend the Yankees a tiny bit, not in that just in, just in the fact that when you think about their biggest players in the last like decade, no, I don't have any of them been white. Derek Jeter, half. I don't think anybody thinks Derek Jeter. They think white. No. No. Yeah. Um, you've got Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. You've got, who's now? Aaron Judge. Yeah. Aaron Judge. Uh, best pitcher, Masahiro Tanaka, Mariana Rivera. So it's been not a lot of, not a lot of white boys there uh, recently. Um, but because of the fact that they're the Yankees, you're not going to know anything about them. You're not really yeah. going to understand their backgrounds at all. You don't know who they are and what makes them different than anybody else. I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, an issue of specifically not having enough diverse people on the team. No, it's an no. issue of not letting anybody – you know what I mean? It's like the melting pot thing versus like being able to pick out individualized traits about them. I think that it's more of um, an issue of um, individuality that there just isn't. And, you know, the mold that they have is bland as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. How would I know about Yuan Moncada's international pop sensation career if he was on the Yankees? They would have repressed that so quickly. Wait, what? Oh, Oh, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> I actually just thought Yon Mankata when he was coming up with the when he was coming up with the Red Sox was like, um you ever see see the Indian in the cupboard movie or read the books? Oh yeah. I just thought he was like a life size G.I. Joe that had gone into the cupboard and like come out of it. <laughs> no. Go uh It's a big go strong Google bag. His, go Google his single after this episode mm-hmm. and um Gotta watch the video too. The video is really where it's at. Oh, I've seen so. the video. It's wild. The White Sox had a Yoan Moncada travel day where they all had to dress like him. And it was all of these like just wild prints and chains and earrings and oh, it was, be- it was like peak Miami fashion. Like if you watch Miami Vice, like that's what it reminded me of. And it was my favorite. Actually, with my, um, podcast co-host and friend Janice, we did this whole article um, in the style of RuPaul's Drag Race where we rated all of their outfits and put pictures and picked Mm -hmm. our favorites, and we wrote this big article for Southside Socks, and people loved it, but yeah, you you gotta look into him a little bit more in his pop career. So is that a big part of how you became a White Sox fan, is just the fact that they do allow their players to kind of be themselves? It helps. It definitely does help. Um, But my husband was always a White Sox fan, and my hatred for the Cubs was just losing (laughs) out so much in the last, like, ten years. I was just so annoyed with them. So finally I was like, you know what? I'm done with this team. They're trash. I'm just going to (laughs) go. 
Because I'm still so Chicago adjacent anyway. So I'm just like, I'm just going to go with the other team because <laughs> I like them more. And they had Yolmer and Jose Abreu. And I was like, these guys are cool. And they've got, like, the, I'm going to sound such so white, but, like, they have all this cool swag. Like, <laughs> players are just, like, bursting with personality and they're fun to watch. And they don't have a pretentious fan base. Like, I kind of joined White Sox Twitter coming into this and like I've instantly made friends and now I host a podcast with three other women and I have all of these like writing gigs because of the White Sox. Mm-hmm. So they're just a lot cooler. That's that's awesome. That's uh, cause I, I got to admit, I, I do like the White Sox more than the Cubs, but they're not a team that I've ever, um, just as far as like, you know, like I know like who the players are and when they won the World Series and Ozzie Guillen and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of, it can be hard to gauge what the personality of the fan base is just, um, unless you're actually a part of it. They're not very pretend. There's a lot of fighting <laughs> amongst each other and Yoan Moncada is usually the center point of that fighting. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and that can, I don't engage. I just I steer clear of all of that. But, you know, it's a really laid back fan base. And, you know, the last few years have been really fun watching this team because they are, they've been getting they've been great. You know, if they could stay healthy. Yeah, they can go. And, you know, Bailey and I talked about it. We both thought, you know, if they could beat the Astros, they were going to win the World Series. And all we wanted was a laundry series. So yes. <laughs> that, that would have been our fun. hopes and dreams were to be against each other. But no, I mean it's a fun fan base. The ballpark's fun, the food is good. Like I really love being in this White Sox community and talking about this team as a whole. They're just they're full of cool dudes and I love them. But and I'm sorry to monopolize on this right now. Um <laughs> But it's 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 just cool having somebody so involved with it here. Um, how do they look for next year? I am really excited about next year. Mm-hmm. I am a little worried with Rodon kind of being up in the air and how they are actually going to shift Michael Kopech into a starting role because yeah. he did not get enough time this year. And he got a little squirrely because, again, he was not getting – the proper playtime, you know, he he only knows of being a starter. So when you put him in these like setup positions, he's like, well, what am I doing? So I was a little worried about that. But I think even if Carlos Rodon is not back, I think they have a really good chance again of going really far because as a team, they've really kind of gelled together. And I think that really sets them up for success in the first place. But there's a ton of talent on that team already. And our prospects, we have a ton of talent kind of down on the farm. We've got Jake Berger. We've got Gavin Sheets. Um, even Zevi Zavala, who hit a home run in the world, in the um, Field of Dreams game. Like, there's a lot of really good young talent coming up. They have a pretty steady bullpen, thanks to, like, Liam Hendricks. He's really kind of set the stage for how good that bullpen can be. And they've got phenomenal starting pitchers. I really think Dylan Cease is going to have a really good breakout year. So I'm just, I'm excited to see what comes and I'm excited to see how these people kind of fit in their positions and how these young guys come up. Because 
last year, Andrew Vaughn was playing out of his mind. And that was his first time playing, like, professionally. He kind of skipped the minors altogether. You know, he just came in from college and then was suddenly starting right field when Adam Engel was out. So with all of their young talent and how they've kind of clicked as a team and seeing as how far they went last season – I really think that they're going to set themselves up for more success for a few seasons because, you know, again, they've got all these young, talented guys, and then they have kind of their their elders. They've got Tim Anderson to look to. They have Jose Abreu to look to. And I think that's that's going to put them in a great position to go really far and to eventually get a World Series win. And my dog just busted in my room. So I'm sorry if you suddenly hear this. <laughs> you still mine at the beginning of this. <laughs> I feel so left out. I don't have a dog. <laughs> but do you find that um, – how did you feel overall – we've talked about this a little briefly before, but how did you feel overall with Tony La Russa? And how do you feel moving forward with him? Like, do you think he was a hindrance? Do you think he's going to be a hindrance moving forward, maybe more or less? think he was a hindrance that said he hired a phenomenal staff mm-hmm. to help you know when we have Ethan Katz on our side yeah I he's felt, fantastic I felt more confident love Harvard Wesley he, he put together a good team of you know management to help them along and you know half the time I thought is he even the one you know managing this team is this kind of like a weekend at Bernie situation because he was a little slow. You know, there were so many times where he was like, oh, I didn't realize that was a rule. And it was yeah, like, how do you not know that, Tony? You've been out for a decade. Things have changed. Yeah. They gave you a rule book. Did they not? It's like, read it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think overall he did a terrible job. But it felt at the beginning of the season that it was just really split. And I wasn't sure how the players really felt. But mm-hmm. they all came out and said positive things. So, like, I have to put my trust in him that he's not going to just screw this up because he's not going anywhere unless, you know, he croaks or Jerry croaks. He's not going anywhere. Jerry loves him. (laughs) Yeah. They're BFFs. And even though Rick Hahn wanted nothing to do with him, Rick Hahn does not get a say in this because at the end of the day, that's, that's Jerry's bestie. So I just, I've come to this conclusion that I just have to accept him for what he is Mm -hmm. and hope that he, has the best intentions for, again, not just settling and being happy to win 85 games, that he wants to push them and learn how to manage baseball again. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, the White Sox, I think, definitely have a bright future. I think our mine and Ed's Red Sox have a bright future, so maybe we'll get our ALCS someday soon. <laughs> Is that serious? Last time Red Sox and White Sox play uh, went up against each other in the playoffs, it did uh, not go well for the Red Sox. Broke my heart. It it did not. I went very well for you guys. Yeah, despite not always being a White Sox fan, it was still one of the. I mean, there it was baseball, so I was going to watch it no matter what. So, yeah, that was a nice. That was a good series. I was kind of rooting for them. (laughs) 
even back when I was not their fan. So I just wanted to go back to back. But the true Red Sox back to back I thought was going to happen was 07-08. So 08 is like my heartbreak. And like I'll get people on Twitter that'll be like, how can that be your heartbreak? I'm like, one, don't dictate my heartbreak, please. Uh, one, I wasn't really into baseball super into 2003. So I don't really feel what people felt in like 2003 and like 08, like losing a game seven against like the cocky little shits of Tampa Bay. Like I'm like 18 years old. I'm very volatile. Like I'm emotional. <laughs> like I was like, that to me is like the biggest pain like I've ever experienced in baseball, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Be happy you didn't get 2003 because yeah. I still remember I, I, I cried for like over an hour. So I, I could, I could only imagine. Like, I've seen it, and I, like, being like, oh, if I was super invested. Of course, I, like, get invested in the Red Sox, like, the right time. Like, 2004 is really when, like, my, like, always grew up, like, my mom was a huge fan. But, like, by the time, I, like, I was like, oh, I really like baseball, my mom was like, all right, let's watch all these games. And it happened to be, like, 2004. So I, I got very lucky. But I could still have heartbreak, even though I've had four <laughs> championships. It, it exists. It exists. But I look at 2003. I think, oh my god, if I was super invested in it, that would have, I would have, that would have killed me. <laughs> Just that knuckleball floating like that, and that, oh, it would have killed me. <laughs> Just think it was Boone too. What a what a piece of shit player. Oh, very Bucky Denty. <laughs> Dent in '78 was like shit that year. You know, it's like their shit players are the ones that get to us. You know. Oh man, who was it in the in 2011? Was that Robbie Andino for the Orioles that like basically soloed the Red Sox in that elimination game? Oh, I hated that. I hated 2011. <laughs> oh, that kid. See, as Red Sox fans, we've had some shit too, though. 2011 yeah. was terrible. 2012 was terrible. 2020 was terrible. 2020 was just comedy at that point. Like I just didn't care. <laughs> 2020. It was like, throw out this guy that like grunts when he throws 80 miles an hour, and we'll see if we'll win this game. Okay, that was relatable for me, at least. I was like, yeah, that's that's me trying to pitch with the majors, except for it's like 40 miles an hour. Right. Yeah, at least the Valdi's up there, like, grunting, and it's like 102. <laughs> like, this guy's, like, barely touching 80, and it's like, <laughs> like Oh, it's so wild. Yeah, be, being a Red Sox fan, it's highs and lows is what it is. There is, there's never been that steadiness here. It's like yeah. either we're win, they're going to win a World Series or they're just going to have Bobby Valentine and it's going to be an absolute shit show. Again, I was a Cubs fan growing up, so that was only pain all of my life. And then they won that World Series, and then I was like, actually, I hate this team. <laughs> Like, why was I happy that this happened? Oh, but Chris Bryant, though. My, yeah, he's pretty. My heart. That's, that's, I want him. I want him on my team, but. And I'm like, we have an opening in, in the outfield, you know? But it's not going to happen, so it's fine. Um, but thank you so much, Crystal. I thank yeah. you for coming on and talking with us for over an hour. Like, that's my husband's birthday too. I should be hanging oh, out with him. Yes. Well, then we are going to let you go. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. So everybody, um, how can everybody find you on your socials? Yeah, you can follow me. My name is spelled kind of funny, um, but it's Crystal underscore OK on Twitter. That's the only place I really actually check anymore. But that's C H R Y S T A L underscore OK, um, and then I. 
do a lot of writing for Southside Sox through SB Nation and Pitcher List. And then when baseball starts back up again, I do some power rankings for Say It Again Network, their baseball site, too. And occasionally I write for them. I did do a Tim Anderson Field of Dreams piece for them that I loved. So, yeah, follow me there. I do way too much writing and a bunch of shit posting on Twitter. It's always fun. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Really really pleasure meeting you. Yes, nice to meet you. Yes. (laughs) 